tonight I would like to talk to you about the river. And we're going to take a, a look at the river from Genesis to Revelation. And I have a lot of scripture, so I'm going to talk a little bit about what the scripture says about the river. And then I want to talk about the significance of the river and then how you can get in the river. Okay, Genesis 2.10. A river flowed down from the land of Eden, watering the garden and then dividing into four branches. So this is the first time we see mention of the river in the scriptures. In Psalm 36, 8, and 8 through 10. You feed them from the abundance of your own house, letting them drink from your river of delights. For you are the fountain of life. Now notice some of this is interchangeable from river, fountain, stream, gushing, rushing water. So, you know, broaden your definition there. For you are the fountain of life, the light by which we see. Pour your unfailing love on those who love you. Give justice to those with honest hearts. And I want you to notice some of these words too. You're going to see joy. You're going to see justice. You're going to see hope in there a few times. So notice those words. You know, we've been, the times that I've come before you and talked, those are the themes that we talked about. So it's no surprise. It's going to be no surprise to us that all of these things are right there in the river. Amen. Psalm 46, 4, a river brings joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. Verse 10 is our favorite I know it's your favorite. It's going to be, it's my favorite. Be still and know that I am God. That's from that same psalm. Zechariah 14, 8. Oh, that day the life-giving waters will flow from Jerusalem. There's another term for it. Daniel 7, 10. The ancient one sat on a fiery throne. And I'm skipping around here. And the river of fire was pouring out, flowing from his presence. So there's a river of fire. Isaiah 66, 12, the Lord says, I will give Jerusalem a river of peace and prosperity. What are we just singing about? Peace. What do we talk about? The promises and the Holy Spirit. The wealth of the nations will flow to her. Joel 3, 18, water will fill the stream beds of Judah and a fountain will burst forth from the Lord's temple. And of course, the one you're uh, most familiar with, you've probably heard a lot of preachers, Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12. It's a little lengthy, but it is so worth it. So let's, here we go, I'll hurry. In my vision, he's having a vision, the man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. There I saw a stream flowing east from beneath the door of the temple and passing to the right of the altar on the south side. The man brought me outside to the wall through the north gateway and led me around to the eastern entrance. There I could see the water flowing out through the south side of the east gateway. Measuring as he went, he took me along the streams for 1,750 feet, and then he led me across. The water was up to my ankles. He measured off another feet and led me across again. This time, the water was up to my knees. He, he measured again, and the water was deep across to walk across, was too deep to walk across. It was deep enough to swim in, but too deep to walk through. He asked me, have you been watching, son of man? Then he led me back again along the riverbank. When I returned, I was surprised by the sight of many trees growing on both sides of the river. Then he said to me, this river flows east through the desert into the valley of the Dead Sea. 
The waters of this stream will make the salty waters of the Dead Sea fresh and pure. There will be swarms of living things wherever the water of the river flows. Fish will abound in the Dead Sea, for its waters will become fresh. Life will flourish wherever this water flows. Fishermen will stand along the shores of the Dead Sea, all along from the Engedi to Engalem. The shores will be covered with nets drying in the sun. Fish of every kind, fish of every kind will fill the Dead Sea just as they fill the Mediterranean. But the marshes and the swamps will not be purified. They will still be salty. Fruit trees of every kind will grow along both sides of the river. The leaves of these trees will never turn brown and fall, and there will always be fruit on their branches. There will be a new crop every month, for they are watered by the river flowing from the temple. The fruit will be for food and the leaves for healing. So here we have a vision that Ezekiel is taken to the Temple Mount. He's shown the Temple of Messiah where he will rule the world and where there a river flows from it to the Dead Sea. And you all know about the Dead Sea. Nothing lives in the Dead Sea because there's no outlet. Waters flow into it, but there's no outlet. There's so much salt that builds up there, people float in it. And they're making lots of money off of the Dead Sea. Uh, all this Dead Sea salt and this black... Uh, slimy clay almost like that you you can just smear all over your body I didn't do it don't do it but plenty of people do <laughs> so this is the vision that he had so the Dead Sea is going to be renewed you know the Dead Sea is one of the lowest points on earth and the river flows to it at this at this time in this vision he saw this which will happen and wherever this river flowed then there was life there is a river flowing there is a river flowing. God wants us to jump into this river. He already has a river. I like what Chuck Pierce says, uh, and I'm paraphrasing him. He talks about how there comes a time when the waters of change must rise. It creates a river. It cuts a new path. Sometimes it's smooth and calm, but then there can be rough places. There can be fast-moving water. The river is also a place of provision. We can cast our nets if we resist the fear of the rising water. You have to resist the fear of the rising water. You have to be able to jump in. It means a time of refreshing, to be empowered and carried by the Holy Spirit. It takes you to a whole new place where in that place you are empowered and you have a point of multiplication. So those were points from the, New from the Old Testament. Now I want to talk about a few things from the New Testament. And you're familiar with these also. The New Testament talks about the river of life. Jesus himself talked about the river of life. Look at John 4.10. Jesus comes to the well of Samaria and he stops to rest. We all know this story. It's a wonderful story. But I found some more background information on it that I just really want to share with you. So what happens? You know, this lady comes out. She comes out at a certain time of day 
when she can be alone, when she can come out alone. Because she doesn't come out when all the other ladies come out to fill her pots of water. Because she's in, she's ashamed. She's ashamed. And really, she's an outcast. And she's put, she's pushed back. If she came out during that time, none of the other women would have anything to do with her anyway. Why? Because she's had, she's had some, some immoral issues going on in her life. She's had some indiscretions that she's dealing with. So here she is at the well this particular day. Jesus sits down. Here she comes. She's filling her pots of water. Jesus, uh, she recognizes him, not who he is, but she recognizes him that he is a Jewish man. And she knows also that the Samaritans and the Jews do not get along. And here she is in this predicament of herself coming out alone, and here's a man there also. But Jesus is not afraid. He's not afraid to approach her. He's not afraid to speak with her. And he tells her, if you knew who I was, you would ask of me and I would give you living water and eternal life. And as she stood there and she began to talk to him, something began to change inside of her. He so touched her that a faith awakened inside of her. Regardless of who she was or what kind of lifestyle she was in or what kind of predicament she had found herself in, there she was just as she was, and she encountered Jesus, Jesus Christ. What happened to her? She encountered this living water. She drank of this living water, something that she would never thirst again. And as she listens, she's totally changed. She leaves there. She is so touched that she goes and she tells the townspeople or the village people there how she met a man that told her everything that she had ever done. And what is so exciting that I learned was that Acts chapter 8 kind of picks up on this same story. And it talks about that how the first place the gospel went after Jerusalem was Samaria. While Saul who later became Paul, was out terrorizing people, Philip went to Samaria. He did signs and wonders. He converted people. Even the sorcerer, Simon, of the village was converted. Then Peter and John went into Samaria and preached about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it just exploded in revival. How do you think that happened? Well, early church history tells of this lady the woman at the well. And it records that her name is Fotine. And she was so touched that day at the well that she was able to win her five sisters to the Lord and her two sons. She even went to Carthage in Africa. She was considered an apostle. We, we just now started accepting women preachers and pastors. This lady was an apostle. We're a little bit behind. What'd she do? She encountered the river of life. She encountered a change. She was radically changed. And she, she simply shared what Jesus had done for her. And what did it do? It upset the whole area. And revival broke out. She got in. She got in the water. That's what she did. She got in over her head. The water, the flow, it just was released out of her. Later, this Fotin was martyred by Nero during the persecutions. But up until then, she gave it all she had. She encountered life, and she was free from shame. She had found a joy 
that nothing else could give her, that the world couldn't give her, and the world couldn't take away. I guarantee you that she was one of those martyrs that we talked about before with the hands up, saying, hey, it's okay, it's okay. What she found out was God's living water can flow anywhere at any time, and it can be released, and when it's released, life happens. It brings things back to life. But let's step back again into when Christ was there. Let's go to John seven thirty seven. After this, there was a, at the Feast of Tabernacles each year, the high priest would get water from the pool of Siloam and pour it on the altar. He was doing this as a prophetic act to appeal for rain, physical rain, but he was also doing it to, for an appeal for the pouring out uh, as the prophet Joel had prophesied. So the priest did this every day as a prophetic act. But on this last day, on the Sabbath, the high day, as the water was being poured out, Jesus spoke up and cried out and he said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart, or out of his belly, some translation says, will flow rivers of living water. You see, the river is revealed here as the Holy Spirit. The river of life, healing, fire, provision, all depicts the Holy Spirit. You know what? At salvation, we become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Our bodies become the temple that Holy Spirit saves us and he lives in and we have the potential then to be filled to a fullness with the evidence of speaking in tongues we become the temple of the holy spirit so therefore we have a river inside of us there was a story about uh, a man a cambodian man his name was so paul he was arrested and imprisoned for his faith. He was chained, he was beaten, he was tortured, and he was headed for execution, along with many others. And they kept them in separate cells, very tiny cells, but each person was kept alone in their cell. But, you know, he knew about this river of life. And in his tiny cell, he would softly sing, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk, makes the blind to see. Opens prison doors, set the captive free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Soon, he heard another person in the next cell singing. And then he heard another person in the next cell singing. And this went on and on until every person there in that building, kept in those separate cells, were singing. They had been converted, and soon they were all singing, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It just rang out, and before you know it, he was able to escape, and he goes and gives testimony today of those days. He had a river of life. He knew he found that river of life that could literally set the captive free. He took that literally and he was set free. The river of life. What are the facts of the river of life? The river always constantly deepens. We should never be satisfied in ankle deep water when we can be swimming, when we can be in over our heads. You see, Ezekiel showed of a supernatural river. It's the river that flows from God's presence. It is the Holy Spirit. 
It constantly deepens. In it, you will lose your control. The river releases life wherever it goes. Everything lives wherever, whatever it touches. It has abundance. It has provision. The trees were fruitful along the banks. This same river in Revelation 22, 1 through 3 is described coming from the heavenly city throne where it flows. It's the river of life and there on each side is the tree of life. You see a blessing is released. The blessing of restoration, of healing, and of wholeness. Everything that we have lost is restored. The leaves of the trees are, will even be for healing. In fact, the whole universe will be restored. That's how powerful this analogy is. There are many pictures in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. We sing about the peace. We, he is all of those things. But when you see about the river, you see how that's a powerful depiction of the Holy Spirit. Where do you find this river? It flows from the temple, from the throne. What does that mean? That means that's where his presence is. We pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where the king is, that's where his kingdom is. Where his where the flow of the river is, that's where his presence will be. Where he's honored, that's where he'll be. Where his authority is honored. Where we are obedient to him, that's where he will be. He's not going to be where we are, when we are disobedient. There are three keys to flowing in the river. First, we must be willing. We have to be willing to host the presence of God. We have to be reverent. Have you noticed that it seems like we've, we're just losing reverence in our society? We're, we're not fearing the holy things anymore. We need to be reverent. I already said we need to be obedient. We need to walk in whatever we know. To do good, to know to do good, and to do it not, the Bible plainly says that is sin. If you know to do good and you don't do it, that is just sin. We must be obedient, and we must fear God and honor his authority. Second, we must operate in hope. As Isaiah instructs us, we must hope for restoration. Isaiah 35, 1-7 says, we must hope for restoration. Even the wilderness and the desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands. Is anybody tired around you today? Encourage those who have weak knees. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. For your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind. Won't he? They saw it in Panama. When he comes, he will unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will, will leap like a deer. And those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness. And streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool. The springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. We must hope. We must hope. We must operate in hope. Because hope leads you to faith. Hope always takes you in the direction of faith. And last, we must ask him to visit us. We must ask for that holy habitation. We must ask for that river to be loosed within us. But what we have to settle first is how deep 
are you willing to go? How deep are you willing to go? Do you just want to go ankle deep? See, some people just want to go ankle deep. They never want to let go of their own plans or their own agendas. They don't want to sacrifice anything that's not their idea. Some people just want to go knee deep. They want to enjoy something cool and refreshing every now and then. That's good enough. Some people just want to go waist deep. They enjoy the power. They come up. They want to get zapped every now and then. Maybe get a prophecy when they need it. Rush in and rush out. But they want to stay in control of their lives. They don't want to totally surrender and say, you know what, God, if you'll say it, I'll do it. But God's not looking for that. He's not looking for any of that. He's waiting to see, are we willing to go in over our heads? You know, a a few years ago when I started this whole, God started me on this journey of hope. This was the first thing that he spoke to me. I remember sitting on the front steps of my house and and God told me, said, I want you to let go of, of all of, and he was just showing me all of this, all of this stuff. And none of it sin. None, I wasn't in sin. I wasn't doing anything wrong. It was just think, just life, just my life. And he was asking me to go to, it just, I, I kind of felt like he just wanted me to take leave of all of that and just step out and say, I'll go. Just say yes, but I'm not telling you where you're going. That's the way I felt. And it was so strong that day on the front porch. And I said, God, I just, I don't know if I'll ever make it. I said, just to do that, just to let go and, and to do that, it's going to be like me jumping from one skyscraper to another with a big alley in between. I'll just, I'll never make it. You know, I could just see me running and jumping and, you know. and I said, I, I don't know how, I just don't know how to do what you're asking me to do. And then I thought, for a minute, well, you know, you, you got to have better faith than that, you know, because I'll talk to myself. Do you ever talk to yourself and preach to yourself? <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm glad. we got some over here that do. <laughs> so I thought, well, you know, maybe it'll be like just swinging over with those one of those vines, you know, like Tarzan and Jane. Just swing over a stream from one side to the other. You know, I've jumped over a few little small creeks in my day. Don't ever do it with new shoes. It's not a good idea. Go around. But anyway, I thought, well, I might could do that. And then the Lord just spoke to my heart, and he said, no, it's not like any of that. He said, it's like you're in a bright, sunny day where the sun is beaming down on your face, and you're taking the rope from the tree, and you're swinging out over the lake, and you're just letting go, and you are falling in the plunge, big, just falling in over your head. That's what it's going to be like. The most fun you have ever had. You see, what he was saying was let go of your fear of tomorrow. Let go of whatever you think you want your life to be like. And take a hold of this. And let me, let me take control. And it'll be the most fun and the most joyful thing you've ever experienced. And I did. I prophetically did that day. I took a hold of that rope. I see God, I swing out and I just let go. And I can tell you the Holy Spirit rushed from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. And I said yes to him that day. Wherever you want to take me, whatever you want to do, I'll go and I'll do it. And I tell you, it won't, I, I don't have any plans. Let me just put it that way. I'm not trying to make a plan and go follow a plan. I literally get up and say, what do you want? Where, where do you, what is your delight? How can I delight in you today, Lord? 
What do you want me to do today, God? What do you want me to do tomorrow? What do you want? That's what God is asking from all of us. I have no idea where that might take me. I I really don't. But I know I'm willing to be willing. And I'm free to do it. I am free to do it. And before I had preconceived notions. I have conditions. I had my wants and my issues. And I don't have any of that no more. And I'm, I'm so free. And so willing and so joyous and so hopeful and so happy to go and do it. I'm still going to have to lean on him because he knows I don't know how to swim. (laughs) He understood that and that's why he used that analogy with me. I believe that's what I think because he knows I can't swim. I had a real bad experience when I was real little with a life vest on. Dude, your head can still go under the water, you know, when adults are standing there. With a life vest on, and it's not good. But I played in the water. As long as I didn't get over my head, I was out in the lake. But I played in the lake all my life. But I'm talking about a freedom to do God's will and to see where God can take you. See what, how God can use you. Look what happened to the, the Samaritan woman. She had such a story to tell of freedom. She knew a depth in God that some people couldn't know. She could go and help people be free. She was willing to do it. She got in the river. God is calling us over our heads. Will you come in and swim? We've been in a hard, dry season, would you say? It's time to go deeper. It's time for healing and for miracles. It's time to leave the dryness behind. But we have to resist our fear. Most importantly, I think, especially for me, We have to repent for being satisfied with where we are. If you're satisfied with where you are, you will never go deeper. And if you are satisfied, then it's okay to say that to God. You know, I'm just satisfied, God. I'm satisfied right here. But you know what? I know that's not your will, and I know that's not good enough. So I want you to put a desire on the inside of me that will cause me to cry out for more, and to cry out for more, and to cry out for more, and to cry out for more. Put something on the inside of us that can't be satisfied. Because I'm telling you, there is endless depths as to where you can go. It's the river. So I just want to encourage you tonight with this. That the river is the Holy Spirit. That you have the river on the inside of you. If you are a believer, we need to get past our satisfaction. And ask God to release that river in a new way. And regardless of whatever your experience has been thus far, it's time to go deeper. Resist your fear and your satisfaction and go deeper.